This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. Hello, everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. And if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason. And that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. And as always, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. What's up, everybody? Jonathan Escudero here, a.k.a. Yogi. Yogi is here and we is here to finish some unfinished business. Man, were we a bit ahead of ourselves when we started this podcast <laughs> a couple of years ago. Uh, one of the first things that we tried to tackle as part of the Midget Issues podcast, full transparency, was the epic uh, Watchmen DC crossover Doomsday Clock. We covered Watchmen, I want to say, as ish, uh, episode three. Uh, Doomsday Clock was episode two. Um, so Doomsday Clock has a very special place in the history of the Major Issues podcast. And recently, the Major Issues podcast surpassed 10,000 listens. Yeah. Uh, the, the click is out there. They're, they're listening to these episodes. And it just felt fitting as we hit this milestone to finish some unfinished business, to get to the bottom of Doomsday Clock, finally lay it to rest. And at the end of the day, answer was probably the most important question of them all. What was it all about? What was it all? All of it, right? What was it all? What's it all mean, man? That's what we're here to uh, discuss here on the Major Issues Podcast. And I guess I what I wanted to ask up front, where do you think your expectations for this story changed as the story was being told? Um, the rumblings of this, uh, the button, all the, the Oz effect, all the little, um, you know, Wally West, the return of Wally West and stuff. Um, all these breadcrumb moments that were leading up to this story. Was it making you anxious or nervous? I was, uh, I was a bit anxious just to get to it i wanted because if you remember for a while we didn't even know what it was leading to what the fuck is true all we knew was that it involved manhattan somehow and there was no name for no book and then all of a sudden it was here doomsday clock it's time i think this was like right after the button the button probably ended with a teaser or something like that right but um yeah i was definitely anxious and excited i was so excited i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you, off the rip there you had no uh problems with the idea that watchmen would be the stories or the characters in watchmen uh would continue into the dc universe i think it had more to do with my trust of the creators involved than anything else because if like my instant reaction to something if anybody else had been involved would have been like fuck they're doing the before Watchmen thing. They're doing <laughs> right. the before Watchmen thing again. But knowing that it was Jeff Johns and knowing the of uh, the, the affection that he has for Alan Moore's work, like he's constantly pulling from Alan Moore's work to build upon it or to reference it or to homage it. Like all like I can name 
I, I don't have enough fingers and toes to name the, the different <laughs> sequel. I, this different Alan Moore sequels Jeff Johns has done. You right, know? right. So I was, right. I was, I trusted him. I think it's it it it's so weird because you know uh, in general, Watchmen is considered the unadaptable. At least that's how Alan Moore described it. Um, and DC's been trying to milk the Watchmen universe for some time. You know, uh, it took almost thirty years to decide on a sequel, but a movie was made in two thousand nine. Uh, you know, the set of prequel comics that you were talking about before Watchmen two thousand twelve. Um, we just got a series last year. Uh, amazing series. Uh, about Watchmen, so they've been trying to get to this well <laughs> at various points in time, and I guess this this felt right. Um, one of the most interesting things that happened this week was you made a sort of a bit of a confession off air uh, on social media, but off air that you realized that you are kind of in the bag for Watchmen. You want to talk a little oh, bit about yeah. that? Oh yeah, I I mean I I don't like I I don't wear it on my sleeve as much as some other things like it's not on purpose there's just there's not much watchmen going on anymore so there's nothing for me to scream about but when i really look at it like i own (laughs) i own the original issues like i own all the first prints i own the sequel i own i got a giant poster of uh, regina king on my wall uh i own the blu-ray i was like oh damn i own a lot of watchmen shit i really uh I really love this, don't I? <laughs> like, it was one of the earlier. I think I probably talked about this before, like when we did what Doomsday Clock the first time. Maybe if we covered Watchmen, I truly don't remember. But like Watchmen was seminal for me. I love that was really important to me. It was one of my earlier books that really made me see comics as something that can be more than you know wham, wham pal, and bam. You know what was the? Do you remember the timeline in between finishing the story and seeing the film? Uh, I saw the movie first, for sure. Okay. Uh, I saw the movie when it came out in theaters. I was interested in the trailer. And this is... <laughs> wow. I really do love Watchmen, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know what Watchmen was at the time. Like My friend right. was a comic fan, and he told me about that they've been trying to make this Watchmen movie for a long time, bro. And there were legal problems, and it wasn't coming out, but they finally let them do it. And this is going to be awesome. And I think it even got delayed. I think this movie got delayed. I don't know. I'd have to do the research. But I remember anticipating it so fucking so hard and when we got to the theater they made me sit on the stairs there was no place for us it was insane oh wow it was crazy it was opening night it was Times square i'm with a group of friends and none of us could sit together because the theater was so packed so we had to sit on the stairs that's crazy um so i remember when the the movie had come out and um it was seen as like it was the antithesis of, of of the superhero genre and time, and it was just crazy. Like I think it, the movie probably would even served better now than when it came out, considering the saturation of the you know of the medium at the point that it came out. And but one of the things that people are, that people say are is unmistakable is the tone, just the the overall tone that the book has. And like you said, you have um, the original first print of Watchmen, but then you also have Doomsday Clock. You also have the um, HBO series. How talk about how hard it is to nail that Alan Moore tone that, that the, the, the general, I guess I wouldn't say pessimistic nature, but at least pragmatic, you know, like black and white kind of way you can see the world um, portrayed in this. What do you think it was about things like 
before Watchmen that that weren't hitting the mark. So when Watchmen was written, it was it wasn't meant to be like a serious story that people should take with them and and use for creative purposes later on. It was supposed to be like, look, if you put superheroes in real life, it'd be really fu- it'd be really stupid. Look at right. how it look how it would end up. You know, like right. this is dumb. And, and people took it, and 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 the Watchmen movie two thousand nine is guilty of this too. And it's a story of like, look at how superheroes would be if they were dark, or look at how, or or before Watchmen was, look at how they would be if they were uh, cookie cutter formula superheroes like we produce every week. <laughs> like it's taking this universe and trying to. Uh, I, I I don't have the word to describe what I'm trying to say here. It's like no, I can, I, 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 I kind of get it. It's like you know, um, you can't bend this world to fit your needs, like to fit what stories you want to tell. Um, Alan Moore very much wrote it as if this was a world that was existing, you know. And he kind of just stepped in and documented what took place over a series of years, and then stepped out. Um, it, it felt lived in that universe, that that whole universe of Watchmen. So when you pick and choose, it feels kind of disingenuous. It's almost it's less that and more like when you look at Zack Snyder's movie, it's like he took this he took this idea because it's like comic books can be serious. Look at this, and like even I said it earlier, and I guess I I should have explained better. I said like this is what showed me that comics could be more serious, but. It, right. But that's that. That's not the purpose. That wasn't the purpose of Watchmen. <laughs> that wasn't the story that was trying to be told, right? But that's what a lot of people took from it, and that's how that movie ended up being what it was. But the, what the HBO show got that the movie didn't was that this is a story about a group of of fuck ups. Like if if this existed in real life, it would be fucked up. So now you take this fucking superhero story and you put it in our real life, which is what HBO basically did, and it will be really fucked up. It's pretty simple. Pro- right. It's a pretty simple concept. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Alan Moore has eternally had this fear of give not only giving any sort of you know body too much power, but s- celebrating them right, like uh, worshiping them. You know, whether it's the government, any political party, superheroes in general, that's his that's his jam. You know, he thinks that the world that it works better when you don't have when you don't have anyone on any sort of pedestal and stuff. So it was about kind of deconstructing that. And um, I love that you say that people got the wrong took the wrong lessons or the wrong messages away from Watchmen, because I do feel like this story here is trying to right those wrongs. It's trying to make definitive statements about Watchmen, whether whether you agree or whether you think they're good or bad. It is trying to say something about that and whether or not that. I mean, am I thinking too deeply in it? The first issue is oh. about whether or not that even is sustainable. If the if a universe like Watchmen, a, a completely pragmatic, pessimistic universe, is it even sustainable? And it says no. It's not, you know, um, it's cool. The same way, like the Joker aspect of it all, right? Like Joker, the film, cool, edgy. Can it happen? Should it happen? Probably not. Would the world work? Would the world work? Like, oh yeah, a cool clown riot that looks so cool. That's really going to, you know, fight the power. But then what happens the next day? You know, and what happens after that? Are those things 
viable um, solutions to the problems that happen in the world. And I think that uh, John's is at the very least, the reason why I, I, I have a, a much fonder uh, sense of this book is because I do feel like John's is trying to say something about how we sometimes gravitate towards uh pessimism or pragmatism because it's it seems easier the math makes sense and hope is not really in the equation hope is a weird variable that deals with like faith and morals and 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 uh possibility and probability and because you can't really factor it because you can't really put it in math it's something that um somebody like manhattan can't even really fathom like he can't even it doesn't it doesn't make sense to him does that make any sense clip that post that on twitter and send it to jeff johns that was beautiful that's exactly that's exactly what this book was about that's 100 percent what it ended up being about like even though the 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 canon and the lore stuff the way it was supposed to affect the rest of the universe changed because of editorial process the message still got across yeah and you yeah. picked up on that shit beautifully. I, I probably couldn't have worded it better myself. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, after checking it out, I was like, "Wow, okay, he's he's really doing something here." Like it's not just because it you can totally have gotten away with a twelve issue series um, where it's just cameos, right, and just interactions, and oh look who's back, and oh look who's bumping into who. Um, whether I don't know how how far along you would have gotten before there would have been a couple riots, but <laughs> we've we've seen crossovers like this stuff happen, right? Um, it doesn't really matter, like especially when it's two properties you're trying to protect. It's usually just some some kind of very surface level interactions, very surface level meetings, and then everything goes back to status quo. But this had to do something, and when it wasn't given the same gravitas to change the entire universe then then screw it then i'm gonna say something about the universe at the very least right when this when this door closes on this on this story this chapter of dc it would have said something about everything that was going on about it yep yeah like i i I want to say something afterwards but you keep hitting the nail on the goddamn head like bow (laughs) i'm like i I can just yep at it (laughs) <laughs> Let, let's get some of this background stuff out of the way uh so doomsday clock as we've been talking about uh it was a limited series published by dc written by jeff johns with uh art by penciler gary frank and colorist brad anderson the series concludes the story established in the new 52 in dc rebirth and is a direct sequel to the graphic novel watchman that we were talking about before by alan uh, moore dave gibbons and john higgins although D- although then dc co-publisher dan didio confirmed that doomsday clock is a sequel to watchman john's originally declined to characterize it as such viewing it as a standalone story i thought that was interesting uh the yeah. narrative what do you know anything about that? Like what I you, didn't. What you just, not- I did. I don't actually remember that. I'm sure I read that those two things separately and never put that together like that. Um, I wonder if maybe he was just trying to downplay it. Yet another uh, piece of evidence towards the editorial uh, power plays that were going on in the back. But you know what? Also, like that's also terrible foreplay. Right. Okay. If Johns is creating a, a mystery around Dr. Manhattan, the button and all this other kind of stuff, 
that's one thing. And to, like I said, lead the breadcrumbs to Doomsday Clock and Doomsday Clock be a DC story with Watchmen characters in it. That's one thing. Yeah. But it's like it's like telling your friend that secret, like, yo, I'm thinking about doing like a DC story with like Watchmen characters in it. And then that guy's drunk and he goes, Hey, this guy's doing a Watchmen sequel. <laughs> hey everybody, <laughs> this guy right here. This guy thinks he can write better than Alan Moore. You know, and all of a sudden, no, 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 no. Listen, it's totally not a Watchmen sequel, guys. It's not a Wow, a Watchmen sequel, bro. And it, you know, and so I could totally see him trying to downplay it, like totally not a Watchmen sequel. I'm not trying to say I'm trying to take Alan Moore's story and add to it, but now what do you are. call a continuation? <laughs> yeah, what do you call a continuation of that if it's not a sequel? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, John said that Doomsday Clock was the most personal and most epic, utterly mind-bending project he had worked on in his career. I believe that. <laughs> I can believe it. Um, this series was greenlit for 12 issues set to release one, be released once a month the story would take a year to complete in theory and by the time issue 12 would be released all the events of Doomsday Clock would be current as the series was set a year out from uh, the original publication is that still the case <laughs> do, you know where the, do you know where the events of this story sit in the timeline of DC. Oh God, that's like the worst question to ask. I know, I know it's incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly confusing. Um, I, I have no answers. I was hoping maybe you had some there's kind of no sense. more because there's no more answers. Like, okay, so Scott Snyder in his Justice League run <clears throat> tried to place the the events of Doomsday Clock in a universe in flux where things were happening in a broken timeline and multiple times at the same time. So theoretically this could still be one year from where it, wherever it was supposed to be. And it just happened in that splintered timeline where things were happening simultaneously that did not connect because it was broken. Right. That's the best answer I can get. that. Because the thing is, you know, the the series itself does something pretty ambitious, which is because initially it was intended to be something a year out. There's a various things that that are shown but not explained. Because I'm the, the I'm guessing the theory was we would explain it, you know, like as it happens, and then we'd get to it. Like this idea of Lex Corp trying to buy um, Wayne Enterprises, yep. or um, the uh, the the Judge of Owls coming into Gotham, um, Alfred being around. Is that a thing anymore? I don't. Know. I don't think that. I don't think that the Alfred thing was supposed to even be a thing because I feel like when Doomsday Clock started, Alfred wasn't dead, and I don't think he was supposed to be dead when they started writing that book. But I, right. but, but that—that's yet a splintered timeline. <laughs> like, I, I guess what I'm asking is how how much on the priority scale do you think it is right now at DC to get things to where Doomsday Clock is? Oh no, that's done. That's over and done, done with. It's it's been done. tied into death metal as uh it happened. So it actually right. it happened. Okay, it definitely happened and it's affecting things going forward. Um Sky so the way that it's been, I guess, retconned, because I'm sure Jeff Johns didn't intend for this, is that um when Dr. Manhattan arrived, the energy that he used is called anti crisis energy. Right. 
and yes, that's yeah. what uh, ACDC, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it goes against the dog universe energy, and it's whatever. Like it, it still counts. You know, they're using it right now. Right. <laughs> like, so okay. it exists. Wally West has this energy inside of him, and he's Wally Manhattan. Fucking right. stupid costume. I got it. Yeah. I got it. brought him back and he's just been suffering ever since. He should have left him in limbo. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. He's kind of been the whipping boy since he's come back. It's it's the weirdest thing. Like it was one of the um, heralds of that this was all changing for seemingly the better. And yeah, he's just been getting whipped up because uh, of it. Um, let's talk. Like we usually go issue to issue, but I think this thing is so dense that it, we're better off going over arcs and characters uh, in particular. And I think that uh, we'll save John for last because he is a, the main event of this entire thing. Um, and it, more so his perspective is the main event of this entire thing. Um, I think it was you who confirmed in our earlier Doomsday Clock reviews that John had confirmed that this was never meant to be like a like a boxing match. Like this was never going to be a Dr. Manhattan versus Superman WrestleMania, you know, slugfest. Yeah. I don't um, think and you can do that fight uh, on pages, on screen. It doesn't make sense, almost. Right. And when we see what Manhattan can do to the whole team, you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it makes you it makes you ask some questions. It's. I feel like there's a there's a section of the fan base, and I don't know how someone like Jeff Johnson probably got a finger on the pulse. You know, he's probably under a fake name in the forums, taking <laughs> part. You know, I absolutely believe that. And, and and there's a section of the fan base that is like all about power scaling and how strong yeah. a character is, and how uh, he would pit, be pit up against another character, and what how would this happen? And, Oh my god! So it's you got. I I feel like you have to be careful almost when you play with somebody like Doctor Manhattan and put him in a fight. You put him against the Justice League. That's absolutely what's that, what should have happened. That, that was done beautifully. You put him against yeah. somebody like Superman. The questions are too too much. Right. <laughs> There's no way to properly do that fight and satisfy everybody. The questions are. Oh goodness. <laughs> you see, I even talking about that fight just just destro- almost destroyed me. <laughs> Somebody just moved the lantern two two inches to the left. That <laughs> that was it. Good. Man. No, you're 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 right, hundred percent. Because I think another thing that's defining about Superman in many ways is his ability to overcome. And if you really believe that as far as part of the character, then you kind of seemingly would think that. You know, like no matter what happens, you've seen the doomsday of it all. You've seen all these ridiculous scenarios that he's been in very much like Goku, where he's able to overcome and all of a sudden has a new skill or a new limit or a new, you know, you know, ceiling when it comes to where their powers are. Um, yeah, you can't do that without without um, pissing somebody off down the line. Uh, I think one of the most interesting perspectives and arcs that uh, occur in this is the arc of Ozymandias' redemption. Because even after his master plan, the world in which the events of Watchmen take place is still on the brink of destruction. <laughs> uh, and more so because the, you know, the, the Rorschach journal is found and, it, you know, it circulates a bunch of different news sites. And then, you know, the world knows of, you know, the, the, the New York squid massacre and how um, Adrian thought that it would, you know, unite the world, but it actually di- didn't. And it, there's two big things that this plays with. One 
is the debunking of the great lie. And you see like newspapers and they talk about like, you know, the great lie, um, this, this, this lie that held peace for, for just a, a you know, a small amount of time. And it reminds me a lot about some of the lies that this country kind of holds together that you can see right through, but it's woven into our history because it kind of makes us a unit. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> like, oh, like, I mean, we're, we're around the corner from Thanksgiving, right? And oh, we know is. that that wasn't, we know that wasn't a, a amicable <laughs> dinner. We know that wasn't, or at least the first one, it might've been, but afterwards our relations with native Americans are not great, but we hold up this lie. That this was, you know, that this what is was what it was, and that lie is very important to our identity as a country. And there's various different one, there's various different, you know, versions of this. And I'm pretty sure it happens with other countries as well. Um, but the disillusionment once you once that is debunked, once that light leaves from your eyes, just the same way that this, I feel like this generation being the most informed generation, they all have cell phones and, and computers and can look up Christopher Columbus, you know, like we are living in a situation now where more people are debunking the greater lies. And because of that are becoming more and more pessimistic because of it, because they're realizing there's nothing worse than realizing that one of the things you've believed in, in for years is not, isn't true. Um, so how do you think that affected the Watchmen universe to find out that Adrian basically murdered, massacred millions for this cause? It ends up working in reverse to what he, what he was trying to do, you know, like it, it, yeah. exactly what they showed. Like he's, you, you ended up forcing the people to want to fight a new enemy and having other people believe that what he did was right. And now they're fighting amongst each other and war is coming Created another divide by accident. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I found interesting um, on the reread is that um, one of the reasons why the the world is on a brink of nuclear destruction is because they think that Ozymandias was working with the government. So, like, there's no way the government didn't know what Ozymandias was up to. Um, which the reason why I think that that's interesting is that's something that's played around with in the Watchmen series, if you can remember, um, where he sends Robert, President Redford uh, a tape that's like, "Hey, listen, I did this thing. You can thank me later. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's, it's awesome. Don't even worry about it." Um, what do you think about that whole thing of it all? That's like, that's like a Superman theory in its own right, right? I. I... <laughs> The the Watchmen series and the H and the way they did things is so. Uh, I never even thought to compare them to Doomsday Clock because when I try it, it ends up uh, things end up getting weird. Oh, <laughs> like totally. I, yeah. my, I'm such a I'm such a, a geek for lore and like the actual world that these things take place in. Like so that so when I try to contextualize the show alongside the story and whether or not they could take place together because they can't like so which one right do i go with as the actual story i try, I try not to even <laughs> i try not to even think about those two together it's scary what what interests me though is that seemingly two different creative processes two different creative you know uh, minds behind them seemingly working off the same roadmap that Adam Moore has created so i think that if if anything, any 
any shared conclusions between Doomsday Clock and the Watchmen HBO show are a testament to how good Alan Moore was to let people know what could eventually happen in the future. Like the idea that the Great Lie would be debunked. That's not a big prediction, right? We saw the book, the Rorschach Journal, get dropped off yep. at a at a newspaper place. So it's like the, the show and the comic both got to their eventualities of what would happen when that when that happens um and i think that also is the idea of like nothing ever ends which is the joke of the you know that's one of the catchphrases of watchmen nothing ever ends and like had you done had you ended watchmen maybe like maybe when you finished the, the book watchmen in your mind maybe you could think to yourself well maybe this all did end you know, maybe it was all for for not. It was all worth it, but there's no way that this is the outcome that Vite imagined. And when this happens, what do you think he's thinking? Like, was it worth it at this point when he's hiding in his like? No, when he's hiding in Night Owl's house <laughs> because he's the most wanted man in America. Was it worth it at that moment? How much does he hate John for asking him for when he for not answering him when he said? <laughs> did it work or whatever you know well he's not obviously he's trying to he's trying to freaking he it's so regret he's so regretful that he's trying to bring john back from wherever he is i will find you in another universe right. <laughs> if i have to <laughs> like, i'm bringing that, you back to fix this no that's totally what it is it's his ego it, it's forcing him to like make these rash decisions and somehow make up for his atrocities. And this doubling down is incredibly daring. Um, when you know, when it comes to the squid uh, massacre, it's being co- considered the great lie. I consider this entire story, as far as Ozymandias is concerned, like the great gamble. Like he gambles in this story in a way that, like, if these dominoes weren't in the exact placement that they were, who knows what the hell could have happened. Very, very dangerous uh, things, but he, this is the smartest man in the world, right? Or at least in his world. So um, you see that he's so desperate. He's recruiting murderers, known murderers. Um, he's he's lying to, to insane people about having cancer. Um, he seems to be acting from a place of remorse. But what do you think? Do you think he really feels bad for what he's done and how, what it resulted into? Or is he just, does he feel more bad that he was wrong? That's what it is. He, he absolutely feels bad that he was wrong. That, that, that he, 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 he more cares to fix what he messed up so that he can feel internal satisfaction rather than, uh, I saved the world again, you know, like good for you guys. It doesn't give, he doesn't give a damn. It like, he only (laughs) throws these murderers because of that connection in Manhattan. So he's like, "I, I don't care. You know, like, I don't care if you kill people. I, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care if I save people. I just want to fix right. this to feel good. Right. And he almost even starts to, like, lose faith in humanity in the sense of, like, I guess he thought in his mind that this was an open and shut case. I create uh, outside threat. Everyone teams up. It should be that simple. And when it all falls apart again, he, he he's almost like, how do we get back here again? <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it. Just seems to be very cyclical with Adrian, but that's his whole plan. Um, he's just trying to redeem himself from the from the great lie. And one of the lingering effects of the big lie is the entire life 
uh, or the, the the adult life of Reggie Long, um, another character that was introduced into this series. Uh, most people notice him. I mean, or know him as being the second Rorschach. And so, uh, Reggie Long is the son of Malcolm Long, the criminal psychiatrist at Sing Sing Prison. Um, it's funny because we last time we spoke about this, we spoke about Malcolm, um, and we spoke about Rorschach separately. But it was never those things were never connected. But some people made that connection early on. I mean, come on! As soon as Rorschach showed up, everyone was trying to guess who was underneath that mask because the original Rorschach is dead. Um, but yeah, he's the son of the psychiatrist that treated the original Rorschach. And um, when, as we saw in, in the book Watchmen, the the psychiatrist of Rorschach's. Um, got like extremely like obsessed with like Rorschach's what is it his like his stories his his mindset he just became like desensitized and he would like tell Rorschach death stories at dinner parties and shit and it would it, it would like it caused problems between him and his wife and they would eventually get divorced uh and then when this whole nuclear war thing is going on in Watchmen uh Reggie's like okay I gotta go evacuate my parents drives down to New York City the squid shows up and literally drives him temporarily insane. And he ends up getting committed. Um, while he's in custody, he's just so pissed at just the events of everything and how seemingly it came out of nowhere, what it took from him, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's able to find a friend in Mothman who we saw in the Watchmen uh, opener of the film getting carried away to this insane asylum. I think it's also in the book. Um, so it's Mothman who actually trains Reggie and he, uh, even manages to smuggle him some belongings while he sneaks out. Um, when Vite is exposed for this whole great lie thing, Reggie swears revenge. He burns down the asylum, escaping with Mothman, but very much in Moth fashion, Mothman can't, uh, resist the flame. And so he walks, uh, into the flame and dies. Um, and yeah, anyway, Mothman leaves Reggie a final bag of contraband, uh, like food, water, a ticket to a boat on a, to Antarctica, and a map to Karnak. And one of the other items is uh, Rorschach's mask. And with that and the journal and stuff, he just obsesses about it and basically takes on the mantle, takes on the the mindset of the, of it all. And he he just builds up this moment of confronting Vite because this is the man who seemingly took everything from him you know um and he get he meet, gets him in the in the stronghold um and right when he's ready to kill him Ozymandias like eh you should probably do it because I, I have brain cancer anyway whatever and so <laughs> that like throws Reggie completely off because he was not expecting the person that he wanted to kill to want to be killed uh and um, he's like, you know what, man, he, maybe he's not that bad of a guy. I kind of see some remorse in his eyes. And so the two agree to work together to save the world from impending disaster. Um, you, we see him get put on Batman's path uh, at one point, and he almost kills Ozymandias when Dr. Manhattan reveals that Adrian was lying about his di- uh, cancer diagnosis. Um what do you think about this character of Reggie Long? Do you, do you think he fits? Do you like him? Do you like that he's Rorschach? Honestly, I didn't. 
I don't know that I felt anything about Reggie at all. <laughs> like I didn't hate Reggie. I didn't hate Reggie. I don't. I think some people hated the idea that they could be in a Rorschach, but I never felt that. I I did. The story made sense. I I went. I I. It was fine for what it was. I just didn't. I don't think I ever felt anything for Reggie. Really, the the. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. He's a bit of a hard uh, cookie to crack. Um, you want me to give you my tinfoil hat um, uh, POV on this whole thing? Oh, heck yeah. On why, on why Reggie's in this. So um, this has to do with my interpretation of Superman as a character. Um, uh, I think that what makes Superman awesome as a character is that he's the kind of person that can save the entire world, can drag a planet right uh, from, from place to place uh, if need to be. But he's also the same kind of person that will save a cat from a tree. Right. It's, it's, it's also very much about the individual moments and the smaller moments. I feel like Reggie in this story represents that the, the smaller individual consequences to doing humongous things like the squid situation. So you have Ozzy, who's like, and he's literally po- poised with this question, right? Like, um, I, I can't remember. I know it's definitely in the film, but I'm, I can't remember if it's in Watchmen, where it's like, you killed millions, and he says to save billions. To him, that math is easy, right? Like, th- that math on on surface is, is real easy to get through. But Reggie is the literal personification of that choice. Literally, like you understand, like he has the weight of all that choice. Vite doesn't have the weight of any of this on him because he made it not thinking of 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 any particular person. He thought about society as a whole, but it's the same way. Like we think of war, but we really think of the individual soldier, right? And so many uh, wars happen, so many soldiers die, and we'd like, okay, America won. Yeah, America won, but they also lost a bunch. And Reggie is is a is a victim in the, all this. He is a casualty in 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 Ozzy's plan to save the world, right? Like he's literally a casualty of this lie of this of this uh big lie thing. And I and very similarly enough, where when it comes to the Watchmen HBO series in this, um, when it seems like Ozymandias might be getting away, when it seems like Ozymandias might be um you know, have an escape and, or, or be redeemed. It's not that way. He, he, he will pay for his crimes. He will, um, see some sort of fitting end. So yeah, Reggie on second read really felt to me like the consequences of making a big choice like that and not thinking of every single individual, you know, um, I guess consequence. Did I say consequence too many times? Maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Um, it, it's it's Ozymandias thinks of the entire world. And this is what happens to one man. Could you imagine all the other? This is That universe is filled with 100 Reggies. You know? Like setting things on fire. And you've seen the beginning of that story. Like out of control. And um, I don't know what he means for the rest of the world. I don't know what he's going to do moving forward. I'm not really interested in... I hope he gets help. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not really interested in him being a stunted person because of PTSD. I'm all about representing trauma in comics and stuff like that. And I think another interesting layer was that um, once once Ozymandias shown was shown to be like feeble and dying, even though that's not true. Um, 
he had the homie has all this rage without anywhere to point it because the one person that was supposed to be the be all end all and if i kill him i'll feel better he doesn't want to kill him anymore um and it really speaks to have what happens when you have that trauma and you have that rage and that anger and nowhere to point that you become a a, a, a shell of yourself you become this shadow that is rorschach too um i'd be, be very interested in um seeing what he does in the future how do you feel about Mime and Marionette? Mime and Marionette were fun. Mime and Marionette were... Um, <clears throat> I, I remember in the beginning, I was trying to figure out what they were so freaking hard that I, 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 I'm going to have to get a reread of the story to appreciate them for what they for what they ended up being. Because I was like, what is they, are they like a Joker, Harley Quinn, Ultimate? Yeah. What, the, what is going on with this? And in the end, they ended up really being fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was really cool to hear us in the earlier episodes speculate about whether or not Mime had real weapons or not. Because especially <laughs> that first issue, he's packing up his bag and you, you don't really know what the hell's going on. And we say it in that episode that up until that point, Dr. Manhattan is seen as the only one with an actual with actual powers in that universe. So the idea that Marco has uh, or Mime has these abilities, I think it's interesting. Um, so the Mime and Marionette, Marco Maez and Erica Manson are a uh, criminal husband and wife team. Mime is a mime artist team villain who wields invisible weapons while Marionette wields wires. These things are razor sharp. They cut off fingers, necks. These guys, they're, they're, they're ruthless. Um, I think they're more of a take on Punch and Julie. I think we were talking about... Um, Harley Quinn and Joker, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. they're more they're more lovey dovey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erica grew up around her father's marionette shop, where she befriended the mute Marco. Uh, when her father hung himself after being threatened by crooked cops, she and Marco badly beat up the cops and pursued a life of crime. She was sent to the orphanage in Grand Folks, North Dakota. They later married and had a child. They were imprisoned for theft and murder until Rorschach to freed them on Azimandius's behalf. Ozymandias offers Marionette and Mime an opportunity to find their son if they help him find Dr. Manhattan. Uh, arriving in the DC Universe and their actions uh, put them in Joker's crosshairs once they get there. They finally meet Joker at the top of Gotham City Police Department as one of Joker's henchmen brings the defeated body of Batman to them. The pair accompanies Joker to Riddler's underground villain meeting, which is crashed by the comedian. The comedian catches up to Mime and Marionette, but Joker uses his joy buzzer on the comedian to save him. Joker admits that he has taken a liking to Mime and Marionette, and uh, on was yeah on Joker's funhouse, Manhattan reveals why he actually spared them. Um, he sees that their child is going to do something special, but when uh, he she mentions her son, and he's like, no, you're going to have a second kid, which I think is interesting. Um, Mime and Marionette then escape with the comedian and the lantern battery after Manhattan restored the DC universe. He asks Mime and Marionette to stay, hoping to give them a second chance in raising their daughter, Anita, and also because he already planned to reunite them with their other son, Clark. What do you think is going to become of this Anita? I feel like that was just a pawn that Manhattan needed to get Clark, to because it's like uh, you're about to give birth to this kid, so uh, I can, uh, uh, I you take this one back, and I'll take oh, this oh dear, one. I'll take this they, one. The trade off. <laughs> you go ahead. 
<laughs> yeah, because yeah, initially, the, initially we thought it was way more sentimental. Um, the idea that he wouldn't attack a pregnant woman, even though he didn't stop Edward Blake from doing so um, in the Watchmen book. But it turns out it's not that at all. He sees <laughs> something else. So you see something way further in the time stream uh, that has to do with these cho- that, that has to do with this child. It's not like he has any romantic feelings about children or motherhood or anything else like that. We probably should have seen that coming too. He's so he's always thinking in multiple moments. Yeah. Were you surprised at his voice in this? You know, John's is writing man for the first time. Um, what What do you think about that? I thought it was a. Uh... <laughs> Being, I guess, I guess Jeff Johns is too emotional for his own good, right? <laughs> right, right. No, so, I was just saying. Like, did, did you feel a, div- a, a deviation at all? I didn't think. I didn't think it was too different. I thought. I thought it was well within the character. I thought that making the character uh, uh, feel a thing towards the end was was the right way to was exactly what would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I thought that everything. I thought. I thought that the the eventual, you know, like the realization that you know, like, uh, you know what? I really, I, I messed up. Like, I'm the villain here. Oh shit! <laughs> like, the problem was me. Uh, <laughs> it was me. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Yeah, I think that. I think that that's interesting too. Um. And uh, one of the things that they play around with another idea that I think is very much uh, a theme of this is like eventuality or inevitability, I guess it would be a better, um, a better word. And what we, what we think is inevitable versus what actually can be inevitable at various points through being pragmatic, John and Ozymandias, damn the Watchmen universe, right? Like, oh, it's inevitable. They're all going to eat each other. Um, And later on, they go to a point of saying that, well, in some ways, Superman is inevitable. And if Superman's inevitable, then hope is inevitable in a way. And so those are, those are two things warring with each other. Um, you can be, and it's like in the real life, right? Like I can sit here and be like, oh, humanity's garbage because I, because of what I've seen. But it doesn't mean that there, I, there's not good people in this world. And when pointed with that evidence, how could I argue? I, both things kind of exist <laughs> and you're hoping that one overtakes the other. Um, but these are all theories, but not, not the craziest theory because the craziest theory is the Superman theory, a conspiracy theory that accuses the federal government of the USA of creating its own metahumans. Um, and it has created an international conflict that is leading to a superhero arms race with governments around the world recruiting metahumans and creating sanctioned super teams. Um, Lois Lane believes Lex is perpetuating the myth of the theory, and other countries have began to see the overwhelming amount of super American superheroes as a threat to national security. What do you think about this wrinkle here, this, this fake news uh, article of, uh, of trying to slander the U.S.? I thought that was an interesting way to try to take the DC universe and place it within a more realistic world view. Yeah, like world, world, world view, right? Like these are not just uh, these are not comics just being read by Americans anymore. One hundred percent. The idea that if America ever got this many superheroes compared to the rest of the world, it would be seen as a political threat, right? That's yeah. 
I enjoyed that. And it's like, oh, this one was just made by the government. Oh, and this one was also made by the government. What about that guy? Yeah, government, you know, and it, these things start adding up. But then you got people like Firestorm, who, like, uh, is it Killer Frost who, like, just lies and says that Firestorm was created, uh, in, in, you know, because of the government and stuff? Like, so he's going through a whole thing. Um, I wanted to take a second to talk about that whole Firestorm incident because I thought that whole thing was horrifying, but also sort of kind of like beautiful. Like you have this moment where Firestorm is just uh, fighting his uh, Russian foe, foes are. And um, it's, it's seen as an international incident because he's crushed, he's crossed over to uh, Russia's borders and they're making a big deal all over the news and, and stuff that saying that Russia in particular is very much believing in the Superman theory and is building their teams and, you know, saying like, Hey, you better not come any closer or, you know, something's going to happen. Um, so him crossing this border, like I said, again, is seen as some sort of almost an international incident. Um, and we're, yeah. Uh, you he, all of this is because Ronnie Raymond was falsely accused. So he he thinks that Fozar is trying to do like a smear campaign. So he goes over there and um this character I did recognize the negative spirit of um the Russian negative woman yeah. is there. And he goes she goes through the negative spirit goes through Firestorm and once that happens he can't hear Martin Stein anymore and he starts to freak out. Uh, the Russian mob grabs him and starts to like grab on him and he yells at them th- for them to let go. And then everyone except for him turns to glass. Um, and he's bugging out because he's never done this before. Uh, to our knowledge, canonically, um, his transmutation powers don't work on organic matter. Um, so this is all, you know, news to him that everyone is glass. Uh, but this is also seen as an international incident. So Superman has to come down. Um, he gives him a pep talk. He's able to transform one of the people back into being human. But it, all of this ends up being a Manhattan play, right? Yep. Uh, which is like kind of messed up. But it's revealed that, no, the actual energy that did all that or whatever, uh, we, we've tracked it down. It's on Mars. And, Yogi, on a reread, the issue where they go to Mars feels very much like when the Avengers go to Titan. Oh, or, I don't know about Titan, but whatever planet they go to get Thanos, it's like, oh, we know where it's at. We're we're heading down there. But it's like, it's, it's inevitable. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's over. Like, what are you coming over here for? There's nothing you can do. Except this one. Well, so then, then that means that the Firestorm thing, wasn't that uh, a Vite? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, because he knew that that would um, that would Justice League go to Mars to track Doctor Manhattan down, and he's standing there like I don't I don't know what y'all came here for, but y'all don't want this smoke, and neither do I. This is so cute. (laughs) One of the the things, one of the things in secret that we're not that we're not privy to um, is the idea that overall the gamble that Adrian Veidt has is that he wants to put him in front of Superman, and hope that Superman, you know changes his mind and saves the universe that Vite damned. Gives um, him that hope. I thought it was interesting that Vite uh was aware of such a beacon of hope in the first place. 
yeah, but he says when he lands in Gotham that they're aware of those heroes, but they're fictional. That's right. That's right. Because they read DC comics. Yeah. So I, I, it's that's like, in, how interesting is that? Like, like conceptualize that in your in your life. Imagine going. Imagine if I could bring Superman here and have a pep talk with with my world and say, "Hey, you know, I know he's fictional, but wouldn't that be awesome if I could pull him from where he's at in his comic?" Bring him here and have him give a speech, you know. And I thought that that, that it's a it's a pretty big gamble. Um, I was surprised, maybe I shouldn't have been, that Perry White was so quick to want to jump on this Superman theory. Was that weird to you? I like mean, the, the is it weird? We got so newspaper print is dead. I guess <laughs> I it wasn't. I didn't think it was weird because it it was maybe trying to say something about media in general. Yeah. Yeah, like we got we got to sell papers, man. I mean, I know Superman because he flies around my town and he does nothing but good things. But uh, I guess I don't. Know. I got a mortgage. Fuck, <laughs> forget that. But I got a mortgage. That's what he said. I got. I guess just, I got things I got to pay. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I, um, I Lois, um, is yeah, Lois and Lex are you know trying to figure this thing out. Lex actually um, kind of confides in Lois some of the things that he's figured out. Uh, we'll get there when we talk. Well, we're about to get there now <laughs> um, <laughs> with uh, Ants in the Magnifying Glass, Doctor Manhattan being up to no good. This is the main event of the story. I think if you can take these events uh, linearly, as we're we're gonna say them, you can pretty much sprinkle everybody else around what Manhattan has set out to do since he left the Watchmen universe and what he does to end the story for the DC universe, which I think is monumental when it comes down to it. But uh, after John departed his world, he discovered the multiverse and quickly found himself on an inter- on, on alternate Earth. Disoriented from his journey, he encountered a young struggling actor by the name of Carver Coleman, whom he formed a symbi- symbiotic relationship with. Coleman was used by Manhattan to anchor himself to his new surroundings, allowing him to regain full use of his abilities. He and Coleman would meet once a year at the same diner, during which Osterman would tell Coleman his future. He arrived in time to hear the emergence of Superman in Metropolis and went to investigate, perplexed by the sudden appearance of what was a fictional character on his world. He later witnessed the appearance of subsequent costume superheroes and their formation of the Justice Society of America. However, short, uh, shortly thereafter, something very strange happened. Superman's arrival and subsequent first public appearance shift forward in time, causing changes to history which only Manhattan is able to perceive due to his abilities. These include the formation of the JSA under the uh, lead leadership of Green Lantern Alan Scott, and a young Superboy being befriended and taught by a group of superpower beings from the far future known as the Legion of Superheroes, whose own heroics are inspired by his. Subsequent incarnations of the timeline maintain these changes in addition to the new ones. All this to say <laughs> um, that there are certain, there's a certain domino effect of events in DC Comics. That when creating the new 52 and trying to take some of those dominoes out because you didn't like the way they fit in the overall narrative of things, made other things not work, made other things not happen, and had to shift the narrative of these things. Um, We talk all the time about new 52 pulling certain things out, and those are two humongous 
parts of DC lore to omit, right? The Legion of Superheroes and the JSA. Yep, one hundred percent. That's that's the lit. The JSA is the <laughs> literal foundation of the entire thing. How you swipe right. away the foundation? <laughs> right, right. And they they the foundation, and in many ways, I I know after like uh, different writers and retcons and stuff, they become the inspiration for heroes um, that we know. So when you remove that, then you remove inspiration. When you remove inspiration, maybe that person doesn't get inspired at that certain time. And that's what this story, Doomsday Clock, plays with is um, this idea of what what what's the spark and and what parts of DC lore shouldn't be tampered with, shouldn't be messed with, and what happens when you do st- certain things like that. So watching this universe's timeline closely, Manhattan theorizes that he has arrived in the metaverse. A singularly unique universe which spawns other universes when its flow of time is disrupted or changed. Something he observes happening multiple times due to external forces. Moreover, he becomes fixated on Superman, who appears to be directly linked to the metaverse in a way that he does not understand. Finally, after many years of passive observation, during which Carver Coleman is killed due to Manhattan's inaction... Manhattan begins to experiment on the timeline himself in hopes of finding answers to satisfy him. During one major temporal distortion in 2011, Flashpoint, caused by the Flash, (laughs) he takes advantage of the chaos and alters the timeline himself, killing Alan Scott in 1940 and preventing the formation of the Justice Society of America. This is New 52? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Devoid of any hope, inspiration, <laughs> or creativity. <laughs> right, right, right. And and I was gonna ask you this. Um, I had no context for the Superman nightmare in the first issue. After doing some thinking, that is he remembering a different Superman's like life? He's remembering the uh he's remembering the the uh the was it I think Grant Morrison action comics Superman origin. The Just, new 52 Superman origin. Yeah, yeah, it's it which was in flux itself because Morrison wasn't telling anybody what he was doing it. <laughs> but and, uh, so, and so it's in that run that that Jonathan and Martha can't die, right? Yeah, yeah. So is is this is this an effect of the combined nature of Superman reborn? Is that what it's called? Or no, is it well, I think I think Superman has the dream, but it's just a reference to the the thing that's affected him that changed in his life because of what Manhattan did. Right, right. This that's why I figured it was like the signals are getting crossed. So now, now when when things eventually uh, are placed back into their into their holes we have the, we we see the scene where that doesn't happen as a, re- a representative of look hope things are back yeah yeah or yeah. they can be back <laughs> yeah yeah and and it it's a decisive is a decisive movement to choice to in, insert that hope um and it has to be so Doing this, creating a new 52, uh, it has a catastrophic domino effect. Axe sales, 
resulting in a badly warped timeline where John and Martha Kent were killed in a car crash and the bright future of the Legion of Superheroes never comes to pass due to a corrupted present day. Superman becomes apathetic and lonesome, far from the inspiring symbol he's meant to be. Dr. Mahan is at first satisfied with the results, and he is able to more clearly understand this version of Superman. Wow, that's... Yeah. That's saying something. That's very man. Other very interesting. There was a there was a line. It was really interesting. There was a line there where he's like, "Dark forces are constantly trying to uh, change Superman and pull him yeah. away from the hope that he embodies." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I say I, I say this often, you know, as somebody who is getting a newfound respect for Superman, you know, kind of being a new newish comic reader, that. Um, it, once you finally get the character, you realize that he's supposed to affect other people. Other things aren't really supposed to affect him. And maybe that's too idealistic, but he is more of an ideal than he is a character, in my opinion. 100%. And so, and so he gets to be, you know, tried and true all the time. And he can be challenged. You know, I definitely love when things challenge that idea, but I don't think um, he should be changed. And the idea that you would change, the idea that you would muddy somebody who you perceive as too good so that you could relate to them more feels very perverse to me, <laughs> right? 100%. Like, that's, why, that's why when, if you want to relate to a character like that, you can add a layer, something like a, a child and a family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're to- yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. Which as a storyteller, like as a storyteller, adding a child and a family to Superman's life, it allows you to tell the stories where he affects everyone, including children in his own house, as well as gives him a new wrinkle, a new weakness, a new target. Like you're a storyteller. That's great. Why would you take that away? I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> well, I was about to say, I, I was just about to say, and not to get too emotional with it. I know, and and you know, congratulations. I know you recently um, had another child. Uh, Thank but it, it also feels like by doing that, by having giving that child that even even in the midst, this I, I I'm trying to say this without it sounding too cheesy, but I can't. Even in the midst of the world, may maybe not getting you, John is always going to get Superman. Like the, the his son is always going to understand him. His son is always going to understand why he does what he's doing, even when the public doesn't. And I think that having that character always be supportive and, and understanding of seemingly a man whose motives sometimes are not understandable um, uh, humanizes him. You know, it's also that- great to see the, to a child act directly upon the lessons they were taught by their father when their father is Superman. So these are the same yeah. type of lessons that you would ideally would be teaching everyone, but this is his child. So what happens when someone takes everything he says seriously? And how does that present a problem in their life when they're in school yeah. and their father's Boy Scout ways don't exactly work? Now they yeah. have to learn and do things on their own, which creates a whole other story in itself. Like That's awesome. I yeah, and you know, not to not to vary too far from that, but it's like Damien is almost the extremes of Batman. 
and how when Batman is confronted with those extremes, his desperation to pull him away from that edge is very much a, a, a fight for his own soul, you know, a fight for his own innocence in a way. Um, it, the, the, these children inform so much about um, about these other characters. And this issue where majority of this stuff unveils about Manhattan really gave me a new level of depth to him. And like I like I described him earlier, he literally is a a, a kid with a magnifying glass in this in this situation, um, or an he, editor with a pen, or an editor with a pen. He he, and and now and the more we talk about it, like even if even as I describe it as it's written down, it just becomes more and more poetic because, like you said again, like there's this there's this cold, powerful bald being, <laughs> floating around destroying what he doesn't think is 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 necessary changing the timelines that he doesn't seem to care about not necessarily feeling like he needs to come follow up on any of the stories that he started and he he his hands on the wheel right now can jeff johns through superman change his mind and yeah it Oh man! Unfortunately, no. And now Dan Didio's gone. Oh, you meant the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, John quickly discovers that his actions have not gone unnoticed, and realizes that the changes are too drastic for the metaverse to accept. It is, in a sense, a living organism, and begins to fight back what it perceives to be an infection. And it sends Wally West back into the timeline, who manages to warn the world of Manhattan's interference although he does fail to positively identify who the hell it was that did all this. <laughs> at the same hell. time, yeah, at the same time, uh, Johnny Thunder of the JSA and Saturn Girl of the Legion of Superheroes, which those were also two big um, reveals in the one shot. I think the they were, yeah, yeah. It was like, wow, look, pieces of the universe are coming back because of the effects of Wally West falling back into place. Remnants, yeah. Remnants of, of times that we don't talk about it, seemingly, are here. So what else is coming? Um, and so, yeah, even though we don't know where the hell the rest of the JSA or the Legion are, um, I think we do now. They uh, they came back in a stupid way. The Justice League saw the JSA? They, in, they, uh... they were... <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, oh God! I guess. I guess because of the residual effects of Wally West coming back in a time, like things just started sliding back into place and going into flux or whatever. And fucking JSA, the Justice League was floating through hyper time or whatever the fuck, and they ran right, into right, the right. JSA, and it's like, oh look, the JSA exists here again. <laughs> time, that makes sense. Yeah. What's oh. up? With, what's up with the new Legion though? Uh, that a thing? Their thing. They were written. They they were being written by Bendis. I was kind of ignoring them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but odds are Bendis was writing them, knowing that they'd come back after this, right? Maybe that's what that that is. Well, they were brought back because of this. That like they were brought back as a continuity, and then Bendis probably asked for them. Can I do the Legion? So like they would have came back anyway. Like right. they would have found a way to bring him back anyway if Bendis asked, but yeah. this just happened to be going on. He was doing that with that wonder imprint, right? Because if you see, like, 
originally Johns is teasing that the classic Legion of Superheroes is coming back with Saturn Girl. And then at the end, towards the end of the book, it's like, oh, we got to change her now. She's <laughs> got a haircut and she's not. Yeah. Oh, can you recolor Lightning Lad, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, editorial can be fun. Editorial could be fun. Um, One of the things that's interesting about Manhattan's whole thing is that even though he's playing God, there's still a, a, a moment in his view of the future, you know, his usually limitless view of the future, that he can't see past. And the final thing that he sees is Superman throwing a punch. So one of the cool... Um, like questions that he postulates is whether or not Superman destroys him or whether he destroys everything. Um, which that panel, I still want to get that thing framed <laughs> of, uh, of Superman running towards him with it, like, and him describing it. I think it's amazing. Um, curious to find out what the answer is, you know, does Superman destroy him? Does he destroy himself? Mahan eliminates several individuals who have learned of his existence and could possibly affect his outcome, as well as recovering the comedian's badge in the button, uh, which was accidentally drawn into the timeline. Mahan also warps Jor-El, Superman's biological father, into being known as Mr. Oz in order to keep an eye on the Man of Steel. At the same time, evidence is found of cosmic tampering in the subatomic realm known as the Microverse. And the Green Lantern Corps discovers their absolute record of history is no longer trustworthy. John John's getting pretty sloppy. Literally okay, on every level. Literally on every level. Um, the most damning piece, though, is not even found by a somebody who could shrink really small or somebody with a power ring or somebody from Krypton. It's the various pieces of, of um, the various copies of photographs. Uh, that John has been unwittingly creating and leaving behind the post, the pictures of him and Janie uh, from the book and movie. Um, and these are all recovered by Lex Luthor, who's been trying to do his best to understand what the hell is going on with this as well. Um, the world is racked by internal crisis ahead of Manhattan's long-awaited confrontation. However, he is caught unprepared when Ozymandias arrives, seeking his aid, bringing along Mime, Marionette, and the second Rorschach. Adrian's plan has been exposed at home, and the group narrowly escapes a near a nuclear holocaust to seek him out, uh, which is what we talked about in the beginning. Um, discovering that Vite has brought a second boot is capable of generating the same energy as himself to draw him out. Manhattan summons the comedian, again, very petty, uh, moments before his death, returns his badge to him and instructs him to kill Bubastis in exchange for a second chance at life. Events, however, quickly move from Manhattan's control as the comedian is thwarted and Vite is able to corner him momentarily. However, Manhattan coldly refuses Vite, and when Rorschach 2 attempts to plead with him, Manhattan instead destroys their partnership by revealing Vite has been lying to him in order to gain his services. <laughs> this again, petty. This forces Adrian to reevaluate his plan and come up with a new strategy to coax Manhattan's aid, which begins with him using Bubastis to bomb Moscow, which was that whole firestorm incident. Um, the metahumans of the world identify the energy signature as Manhattan's and trace him to his hideout on Mars, 
where after a brief struggle, he incapacitates them. Do you want to gush over the madness that is Manhattan versus everybody? That was amazing. The whole issue was amazing because, it, first of all, it's Gary Frank's excuse to draw almost everybody in the DC universe in every kind of ship. They pulled, they pulled the chip from the Justice League animated series. They pulled the chip from the Green Lantern animated series. They had everybody in this mother. I can't. I never counted the heroes, but you got the Doom Patrol. You got hints of the JSA, the Marvel family, Star Girl. Forget yeah, yeah. the original version of the Watchmen, like the oh, wow. the Charlotte, like what they oh, the were comic, yeah, together oh, in wow. the same ship. <laughs> That's like, funny. The, 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 every, oh yeah, yeah. The, the road trip ships, the ships. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah, god! And then when they out. actually go to Mars, and Guy Gardner does the absolute most Guy Gardner thing in the world, <laughs> cuts a whole promo on Doctor Manhattan about all the things we've done. We beat. We he said we yeah. made the ruler of apocalypse lick the shit off our boots, and we shove the yeah. universe eater back into the sewer he crawled out of. He's he's fucking making these beautiful. Uh, it's again Gary Frank's excuse to now draw all the villains in the DC universe as Guy right. talks the greatest shit he's ever talked, and then runs up to God and punches him in the face. It's the yep. greatest fucking thing I've ever seen. And then seemingly knocked him out with one punch. Uh, a, a Guy Gardner, you know, <laughs> that's a thing. He technically did for a second. One punch. One punch. Poof. Though, which is which is, again another cool thing to see was Doctor Manhattan <laughs> taking all these lauded DC universe things like the Green Lantern ring and magic and just kind of breaking them down to their most basic level. Yeah, yeah, uh, it really showed how far ahead he is, you know, when it comes to this power scaling that we were talking about. And this is, I think, the reason why this uh, issue plays so well is because, you know. The Manhattan stuff is inevitable in many ways when you talk about Watchmen, and okay. it's one of the things that people were were waiting for. And this happens in issue nine, you you say, or eight? Yeah, I actually, nine? yeah, issue nine, okay. issue nine is it? But it's a whole straight issue, like an entire. This is the climax of the story. This is where you get the fight in a movie, you know, like yes. when I mean, you yeah. read it all at once. This is exactly probably where it's supposed to happen. Yes, I thought it was. Um, fun. I thought before we move away from this, I actually thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Dr. Manhattan is generally emotionless. So like right. the idea of a Green Lantern ring that is powered by emotion, and he says and he's like, this energy, emotion coalesced and manufactured into a power by a ring, I find it difficult to accept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't think I accept this. <laughs> what? It doesn't make any, yeah, this, this doesn't make any sense to him. This is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> um, and I'm somebody who got ripped in half by an intrinsic field generator. And this thing here, <laughs> here is Boulder Dash. But um, I, I think that even in his emotion, emotionless state, there are like flickers. Or maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm imposing this on him. But there seems to be flickers of like arrogance or flickers of. Maybe that's just the 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 level of disdain he has for everything that's not him. It, 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 am I making any sense? Like he, the way he interacts with all these people is like it's like he's talking to children. Like it's, it's like he's it, like all these people are beneath him. But I don't know if that's necessarily a negative. I don't know if it's like an emotion. Or, 
or right. it's just the effect of him knowing so much and knowing that nobody else knows as much as him. Right. So you just yeah. assume I have to explain yeah. all these things to everyone. And he's and he's totally doing that thing from the Watchmen show where he's talking to people, but also talking past them. <laughs> where he's like, Oh, and um you're gonna get the ribs. And the person's like, What are you talking about? He's like, Oh no, when you go have dinner in three months, you know, <laughs> your wife will be pregnant. Uh so ask you what you what you should get, get the ribs. You know, it's like that. Like he just randomly pick out a factoid, like the whole thing with my marionette. Like, oh no, it's about your kid. Where is our son? Oh no, no, not that kid. It's another kid. Uh, uh sorry, I forgot that I, I didn't tell you about it. And like with this fight, doesn't he say like, oh, this is it's not gonna end the way you think it is, or something like that? Like he knows what happens with all this, uh what with the with what the eventuality is of um this confrontation. And it's everybody else who tries their best and tries their hardest. Don't all the magic users try at the same time to attack him or something? They do run up to him at the same time, and he ends up breaking down their magic as nothing more than them using errors in the universe in the in the in the actual idea of their creation. Like, like oh my god, these like like random errors in computer code, discarded and forgotten, and you people play with them magic. Do you want to take? Do you want to take this meta? Is this also a, a a gross characterization of how Didio might feel about some of these themes and one hundred percent Like by this point in the story, there it's it's almost petty. Like yeah. <laughs> this wouldn't be the first time in this story that that they take a shot that John takes a shot at the people who would do these things to a universe. It, there's a, there is a lot of, but who would? Why would you do this? But what kind of person? It's so passive aggressive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you know, like from what I've seen uh, about a person like Jeff Johns, I don't know that he's too confrontational anyway. You know, like right, right. So I can and see that. And it's diff. It's different. We have this. We have this conversation sometimes um, with wrestling, and if you are a fan of professional wrestling, uh, subscribe to the Dirt Sheet Radio uh, podcast. Uh, a cheap plug there. But um, the reason um, why I say this is like, you have these people who um, grow up as fans of the business and they love the business and then they get in the business and they try to do their best from their at, from their point of view. What, what, what is best for the business, the evolution of the business and you know, their love for it. And then you have other people who are just good at it. They don't necessarily love it. They don't necessarily care much about what the future of it's going to be. And they kind of look at the fanboy, quote unquote, differently. You know, they, they look, look at them as like, yeah, they're like, this is, this is a, this is a job. This is a money thing. I'm here to make money. And yeah, I have a fondness of this. I, I'm seemingly good at it because I'm working here. But you're way too in the weeds with it. And I can never decide where you're supposed to stand on that level. Because I totally believe you have to have some sort of deep entrenched love for the thing that you do. Especially when it comes to some of these things that garner huge fandom. I would never downplay anyone's intrinsic, uh, intricate um, 
analysis of something. I run a podcast <laughs> doing such a thing. You know, I, I, I'm all about that. But I do think that there is a limit of, of where you can take it too far or, you know, try to I uh, feel like things that are not there. I feel like it's there's a balance, you know. You have to you do have to respect that 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 fan that's so dedicated that they know every detail that even you forget. Right. And you have to respect the fact that there are a lot of those fans out there. Yeah. But then on the other side of that, these fans have to remember that one, the thing isn't theirs, you know, like they, there's a sense of entitlement that becomes it, that, 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 that they close their hearts and minds to anything from the outside. You're yeah. going to have to be willing to accept at least a little bit of that. But on the other side, I don't want people who are so soulless, almost, you know, like, like, yeah. like thinking about numbers rather than the story that can be told and whether it respects the legacy of the past, you know, like. Right. You know, now that you say that out loud, um, it, you know, they very much traded. They made an implicit trade to trade new readers for their old ones. Exactly. Right? Like in doing New 52, that was, a that was a decision that the old readers would just get used to it. The old readers would just get with it. We'll, we'll explain it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll find a way to give them what they want. But this is entirely for people who have not jumped in on any of this stuff. Um, and so they can have a fresh start. They made that choice. So I can see why John would want one of the first things that he does is to be like, no, 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 no. You, we spit in an entire fan base's face at, at one point. Guys that let got us here. Why are we going to kick that, those guys off the bus and now try to act like this is all brand new? Like that's it. It's kind of shady. It's a little shady. You know, you, what is it? Uh, you dance with the girl who brought you to the dance. At you the know? end of the day, it's a publisher who's thinking about their own effort and how, much, how, how they can make their job easier. Yeah. And that's a lesson that he learned from the editor that came before him, Paul Evans, who told him that every 10 to 15 years, you need to shake things up and clear off the table so that. <laughs> Wild card. You can you yeah, can shake uh, things up. You can so that you can build upon this empty space, and that is such a bad idea. I think and the best way to deal with something that's too messy is to clean it up, not to throw it away. Yeah, you can yeah. place it into a new context if you want. Yeah. You know, you can do like all these meta stories are awesome. Like you, you can if you need to rewrite the universe now. You don't need to throw things away. You don't need to absolutely get rid of histories. There are yeah, ways. That, would be, that would be the equivalent of going coming into your room, realizing it's a mess, and throwing things out. Just throwing out your TV. Uh, well, it, it does look cleaner now. You're right. There's nothing in the room. But it's it empty. <laughs> like <laughs> my heart. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, no, you're right. We clean the shit out of it, but there's nothing here. <laughs> there ain't there ain't nothing here. Um, with no one left to stand in his way after he basically, you know, get, uh, noobs everybody. Um, 
he confronts Superman on Earth, where the Man of Steel is caught in the midst of the so-called super war between metahuman armies of the world. Mahan observes and refuses to lend Superman his aid, which is like hilarious because Superman's getting his ass kicked and John's just standing there, you know? And uh, he, you know, Superman's like, I can't save everybody alone. Mahan's like, well, uh, listen, you know, like this is just what it is. And he explains the whole thing about seeing Superman and not being able to see past that. Um, He decides to not resist when Superman attacks, but turns out superman was never even aiming at him he was actually defending him uh and superman is fighting alongside manhattan so manhattan starts to realize that his fixation on superman actually blinded him to the context of everything that's going on uh and superman tells him that maybe there's a third possibility as to why manhattan can't see past a certain moment maybe manhattan is meant to sacrifice all the power he has to make things right and that's why he can't see past it. It doesn't have to be about destruction on either end, whether Superman gets destroyed or he gets destroyed. Maybe Manhattan sacrificed himself for the greater good of something. And Manhattan is like, you're right. And he resets the clock and everything goes to black. First of all, that was incredibly scary because I didn't know what he meant. He was like, yeah, you're right. And then it just all goes to dark and it's like darkening on the Superman logo. I was like, I don't know what, what is a uh, two pages, two, two whole yeah. pages of darkness. There's one full page of darkness, and then one nine panel page of nothing but darkness. And then towards the final panels in that nine panel page of darkness, there are specks of creation. There you go. I was like, that's amazing. That's beautiful. What did uh, you do? A hundred percent. Um, recognizing that Superman is correct, he resets the clock, undoing his earlier changes to history and making one personal change to make sure that Carver Coleman lives. The returning Justice Society and Legion stop the fighting, and Manhattan uh, is finally able to uncover the purpose of the metaverse. It exists as a means to pervert, to preserve Superman in all his possible incarnations so that his ideals might take root and help humanity evolve. And then that's when I come back to this question. Do you think that Superman slash hope is inevitable? Or is the question more so, should Superman slash hope be inevitable in the DC universe? I think that's the more important question. Should Superman yeah. and his hope be inevitable in the DC universe? It absolutely should be the linchpin of the entire line of comic books. You know, yeah. like the hope should be what superhero stories lean on, like what they live off of, what they build off of. And That's a bit of a controversial it. idea there, John. All right. Listen, this is a bit of a controversial idea there. I, <laughs> that superhero stories should have hope in them. What? I can't believe that, right? <laughs> like, I can't believe how many people actually take issue with the idea that a story about the idealistic human being person can't be about inclusion or representation or hope or or love or or things that uplift not just you you know things that uplift other people how devoid of empathy are we 
that yeah. we can't even appreciate something when it's not specifically for us. It's insane. I think I would you saying that too. I think of two um two fairly recent uh changes in Superman's lore. Um one him kind of refraining from the whole truth, justice, and American way thing. I feel like it was a complete evolution of that character and it's helping humanity evolve past nationalism, at least in the DC universe. You get what I'm saying there? 100%. And then and then the other being um this idea of uh um we, we deal right now with a lot of identity politics, right? And um who you are versus who you portray yourself to be and who um you who you want to be to the, the rest of the world. And we played around with that idea with him um uh revealing that he is Superman, that Clark Kent is Superman. Um, which is an evolution, you know, you can fall on either side of, but it is represent representative of the times in the sense that we very much it's very much important. If Superman is the idealistic hero and if he is the one of hope, his message needs to be at least when it pertains to that subset of society that you should feel comfortable in your skin and you should be proud to stand up and say who you are and not have to hide it for fear of what the rest of the world is going to do about it. And that like, doesn't that even sound great? It doesn't even, it doesn't just sound good. And that's what he's supposed to be. Like who, what kind of monster, you know, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of crazy person would, would, would take him away from all that hope and all that wonder. But I do appreciate the story that Jeff Johns is telling where that someone as devoid of empathy as maybe we are as a collective society could be yeah. so affected by Superman's hope by this by this idea that I thought this motherfucker was going to punch me in the face all this time and he deserved to. That's why I thought he would. Yeah. But yeah. he instead defended me and that blew my entire mind. I'm, and that goes that goes back to my idea that hope is a variable you can't calculate in a weird way, which is why it doesn't make sense to Manhattan. Um, if I drop my wallet, my math says somebody else picks it up. I no longer have a wallet, right? But if that person picks it up, sees my address, and brings it to my house, all of a sudden I have a wallet again. And that those are all true factual statements. But if you would have done the math, the odds and the probability of me getting it back, if I would have acted on the low odds, I would never have it. And Superman, we're being shown by comparison that Superman doesn't work on the low odds. If there's you know any kind of chance of, of hope persevering, that's what he's betting on. And that's, that's very inspirational. Um, and it's one of my favorite parts about Superman. So I was very happy that... Uh, they they got to this because again, we didn't really need to see a a, a punch off, you know, series of of fights. I, I don't think that would have worked. This idea of of hope and Superman being the linchpin for all this stuff, I think, was incredibly well done. So, sorry. I also love the um, <clears throat> like you said, the uh, not not just the. The I, this story that Jeff Johns was telling, but the, but but uh, the meta. I think we talked about it in the beginning of the episode. I might have forgotten, but just the <laughs> universe reset button that we did that uh, yeah. the meta the uh, the metaverse that we created, and the story yeah. that we told there that final few pages where we reset the uh, 
universe there, and we place, uh, we specifically place back all the characters you asked for in panels. <laughs> Earth yes. two is back, so you got those guys. Earth fucking one becomes Earth nineteen eighty five, so you get your free crisis. You get your Afro John Stewart. Yep. <laughs> yep. And and most importantly, Adrian got his wish. We get the Watchmen universe back. He definitely did go over there and step on the floor to bring back life. Yeah. Um, he uh, Dr. Manhattan undoes the damage to his home dimension, uh, you know, making the collective, you know, nuclear stuff disappear. Um, Vite is arrested, but Vite's arrested in the regular DC universe, right? I actually didn't realize that. Is he trapped in the DC universe? I'm assuming him, him, Reggie, no, Miami no. Marionette are, right? No, no, uh, no, they aren't. No, they aren't. They went back to their universe. Vite is in prison in his own um, tower. And uh, 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 Mime and Marionette, they're in prison there too. But when Marionette gives birth to the baby, it disappears. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Manhattan took that baby. Custody, baby. Custody. Raised it for 10 years? It looks like. By himself? By himself. You understand what I'm saying? Was that like a, was this like a, I don't know if you've seen Raised by Wolves, but if it's like this kind of weird, like robot raising a child in the middle of nowhere situation, like how does that work? Well, I'll be very interested. He, he, he raises the child. With uh, with with the ideals that he learned from Superman, yeah, for ten years on purpose because he wanted to create. Because Superman taught him, this is beautiful too. That's a beautiful fucking thing, Jeff Johns is saying. Like this person who the who read who maybe was a racist or something and read a yeah. Superman story and was yeah. inspired by that Superman story, and he can now spread that inspiration to his child. Yeah, so that that child can go on to the next generation and spread that same inspiration, that origin in Superman. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, like knowing the math of the universe, um, you it has to be incredibly depressing. You know, you deal with these ideas of existential crises, which is. This idea, once you've come to the conclusion that the universe is unfeeling and it's all just a series of random events, you know, um, depending on how religious you are, how spiritual you are and all that kind of stuff there. Once you realize that this is all just kind of sort of random and bad things happen to good people and, you know, uh, you know, you know, countries get hit with uh, natural disasters. it, it, It really makes you wonder why care about anything. Um, and then to see somebody like Superman with who has a bit of that knowledge that things do end and you can't save everything, but he gives his all in every aspect. Um, I think that's motivational. I, I very much was a Dr. Manhattan about five years ago. I thought it was better and smarter to be ahead of the curve. And I also thought that um, I also thought that it protected me. Right. If I could just take the piss out of anything, <laughs> if I can find reasons to not get excited because I can come up with, well, you know, that happened because of that. You know, if I can boil everything down to its most pessimistic, then I can never be disappointed. But in the same sense, 
in never reaching those depths of disappointment, I never reached the height, the highs of hope. And I do think that hope, um, motivation, inspiration are incredibly potent uh, tools. They're incredibly strong if you're able to let them in. Um, but you have to be able to let something in. And look at Manhattan with just a dose of it. One conversation with Superman. Just a dose of it. And look at it. Look how contagious. And I think Johns is hoping that that, that continues to be contagious. And that it spreads out through the rest of the universe. Um, Actually, I thought it was uh, more to the to the to the point where John's I, I didn't realize that he still had this connection to the DC universe even when he went back he there's a scene where he realizes that he can never be what Superman is because he didn't have the upbringing that Superman did yeah and he uh which which literally, which, uh, which give me one second to pat myself on the back because I do believe that 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 the, the characterizations of my podcast are very inherent to how Superman uh, is raised and grows up as a child. I just want to say that, put that there, go listen to episode 50, but continue. Hey, we can't get a mopey depressed Superman if he didn't get raised by a mopey depressed dad. That's just true? the way it goes. Okay? He wouldn't make sense for that Superman to be sad if he had the John, the proper John Ken, I guess. You're right. If, if <laughs> two plus two has to equal four, I guess. Oh, it, it, no, it totally does. But it, it just I, like, when that got said, that was incredibly gratifying for me because <laughs> it was a theory. It was a theory I had. I didn't, I, was, I didn't have anything concrete. I was trying to figure out why I didn't like the current incarnation of super Superman, even though I think the actor is great, even though I think that all the images are beautiful, even though I think it has extremely interesting ideas, it was, it was that. So that was just something for me. Like I was like, okay, that I totally agree with you in that whole thing. But um, it, so he, Oh no. So you're getting to this idea that he believes that Clark, this child needs to be raised the same way. To right? the point where he's actually, I guess, Maybe going back and looking upon John Kent yeah. at the same time that he's teaching this child. You think uh, John Superboy Kent? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, John, John pa- pa- Kent. Pa- Kent. Okay. I mean, I guess he is John Kent. I never really thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, he's literally. <laughs> it, there's a double panel here where he actually is at this, he's watching John Kent. And teaching his son at that. Because, you know, he's always thinking in multiple moments. But the moment that yeah. he comes back to is actually John Kent. Because that's what I need right now to teach this child. It's almost like a person going back to a Superman book and lifting up a quote and teaching yeah. it to their kid. Because that's something that that inspired them. That's freaking beautiful. This book, this, like I, it, no, like I know. said, I, it's funny because like um, I feel like a lot of these, these re- revelations are happening in real time. And it, it it's literally making me appreciate this book more. Really and one of the other like one right of the <laughs> one of the other things one of the other things that I just thought about is that 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 is a freaking commentary it has to be a commentary on Watchmen in general in in media, right? Yes. This idea that like in the world, matter of fact, I'm even going to go further back. Um, does Superman destroy me, or do I destroy everything? You know, um, does Watchmen color everything in the Watchmen, you know, 
it, it was that what it was meant to do was color everything in the Watchmen vein? No. Um, to the point that this flips it on its head. And instead of like in our real world, the DCEU learned from Watchmen. That's exactly right? <laughs> that's exactly what happened. No, like okay, so yeah, originally the that that was the meta thing in rebirth like right. 30 years ago we were infected by right. darkness like and it's uh, cuz i and that's a crazy thing to say about a story that you like right like a story right. that you love right. even like but yeah. you can be so objective that you acknowledge that that story was actually a cancer in a way right like right that's the which was the original idea like that that was what was presented before we even knew what doomsday clock was about Right, that 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 idea right there, that commentary about Watchmen, that Watchmen infected superhero stories, and that infection is messing with our hope in general. It was a germ, you know. It was a germ that just ended up getting bigger. And I think, I think, where I sit on it, because you were just talking, you had an interesting question. How do you feel about something like that when you like it, you know, and they, and then it's kind of denounced this way. And I think to me, um, I like the Watchmen. I like the Watchmen story because of different reasons than I think other people might like it. I like the Watchmen story because I like Alan Moore and I, I know what he's trying to do with that story. There are people who like the Watchmen story because they believe that in its pessimism is more realistic. And I think, that might be the wrong reason to like it. I'm not saying that there's that's a, you know, absolutely, I think the wrong reason to write. I feel like the person who picked that up from the story uh, gets and tells Alan Moore that that's what they got from the story will directly be told that that's the yeah. wrong idea that they yeah. got. They shouldn't think that that's the world, you know, like that. This was the world taken to its most nihilistic, most um, narcissistic. You know, to the point that, like I said, Ozymandias is creating dolls, you know, like uh, Watchmen action figures and stuff like that. Um, it was a commentary on how cold all that can be devoid of hope. Um, so I I like how it exists there. The same way, like I said, again, I like Man, Ex Man of Steel existing as an example of the deviation. I, I like that. But when it comes to having to create, you know, an actual uh, example it's much more touching and almost brings a tear to my eye that he goes to see the Kents versus the other way around where Superman's like, well, maybe I need to learn from Dr. Manhattan, you know, uh, where you look at Watchmen and you go, oh, maybe we should go a little bit more in that vein. It's like, no, S Snyder, maybe DC should have rubbed off on you, right? Instead of you rubbing off on DC. That's, exactly, that's exactly the way we would hope it ended up. I, yeah. I, I always said, that being a reader of comics, the reason I enjoyed Man of Steel and Batman v Superman was so much was because I was able to to place them in their own bubble. This is not yeah. my Superman and Batman, you know, like I got one. Like I already have one. I know everything about them. So I'm all right with this weird one. Like I, yeah. like, I like this. There's story. people who love Red Sun. There's yeah, people who love Red Sun. That's, and that's that's a very that's a very different Superman, but they're uh, entitled. That's a weird Superman specifically to love though. Like I can right. understand loving this story. Like like man, that's a great story, but like 
Man, I love Red Sun Superman. Like <laughs> communism. <laughs> love it. Imagery. Something <laughs> <laughs> about that symbol on the chest. I don't know. Just well, me all hot and bothered. <laughs> one of the cool things I thought uh, about the design of the Watchmen book was like, okay, in the original run, like I had, so, like we talked about before. I'm not bragging. I swear. I'm content. I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is for context. I, I have the original issues of Watchmen. Right, mm-hmm. and in the back of every single issue, the blood drips down further and further and further and further until it covers the uh, until it covers the, the page. Right, right. And in Doomsday Clock, they're doing the same gimmick on the back, where the blood drips down, down, down. And in issue twelve, instead of covering the entire back, the Superman logo appears, and it stopped. The blood from covering the whole page. Oh wow, well, that's awesome. That's true. That's cool as hell. <laughs> like I said, just those, just those little, just those little things there. Um, and it, like I said, he really gets the message there. The um, we speak now about like that that 2016, the rumblings of of rebirth, the butt, and all that kind of stuff, and how it really was supposed to be herald heralding. A whole new era of hope. We're bringing the light back, right? Wasn't that? A, wasn't that it? Wally represented the hope. To be the whole. That was supposed to be the continuity change, which is yeah. so much a better foundation than we're changing this for monetary reason because things are not working. No, the foundation of an entire change of the line wide is that our comics are going to be more hopeful and more inspirational, and that's what we're going to get to. And someone literally said no. <laughs> wow so I, I understand the disappointment of someone like our good friend GT Rebirth who came yeah. into Doomsday Clock specifically to see the change in comics that it would present and then having been robbed of that but I still feel like this story is very enjoyable because it was able to tell the it was able to still say the same things it was always meant to say, as well as offering a bit of a uh, of an apology at the end there. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, Manhattan in general being somebody that you can place entire editorial mistakes on, I think is ingenious. In general, like just just be like, oh no, it was this guy. It and you can use him as a shade machine. an instant shade machine (laughs) and yeah like him as a a utility I think was incredibly important in this and and how they were able to get use him to get this message across and fix continuity and bring people back that they meant to Um, I think unfortunately he wasn't able to fix continuity Well, not yeah, not completely. Well, he added. What if though? Like I swear, like that would have been such another added level of enjoyment, though. Like if it would have been able to spring off an entire new, like a reverse Watchmen, which was supposed to be what it was, like a reverse Watchmen. Like if Watchmen infected us, we're gonna do Doomsday Clock, and then from then on, our comics are gonna be uh, free of that darkness for a little while. Yeah, and someone and someone said no. (laughs) <laughs> that's insane to me like what the fuck <laughs> well, the, the seed the seed of a new of a new tomorrow is there right like we said with this boy named clark um who uh, uh um what manhattan sends to laurie and dan who are going under different names um they're the hollis now 
if I'm not mistaken. Undercover. Um, yes, undercover. And so they adopt the boy. The boy shows up on their doorstep saying they that. They took the man he lived there. Because he said John's name and he has the thing on his head. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, John, John's is like, hey, listen, I know you took my girl, but now you're going to have to raise my single son. My single son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> One last bit of petty before I vamoose. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I had a little fun with this kid. Uh, you mind raising him for the next eighty years uh, if you don't have if you don't have any problems? Interestingly enough, even with the uh, with you know the Clark thing there, um, uh, uh, he gives what remains of his power to the planet. Um, enjoying one final daydream of a world where he never became Doctor Manhattan and lived a happily happily ever ever after life with Janie. Um, and he smiles and he finally disappears. And it, it like I said, it sets up for a beautiful future. But one of the some of the interesting things are things that are said when he is recreating the universes. Oh man, that is so uh, cool because he's literally saying like, "All right, guys, I wasn't able to do it this time." Like I got stopped, but somebody yeah. will like time will pass, you know, like this stuff will pass and somebody else will get it to do it. Like <laughs> so right. just hold out hope, which is what right. I was trying to tell you all this time. And hopefully you've picked up on that by now and hold on to that. It'll come as far <laughs> as far as betting on things when it comes to hope. Wh- what is the over under on this perceived um, Easter egg of a DC Marvel crossover. He's playing, you know, because it's again, it's like him still saying, like, you know, it, things will come, you know, like, chill out, like, we'll get in the future. Why, why not, know, right? Why not? Why not? We'll get a DC Marvel crossover. Who knows? Like, shit happens. You know, yeah, like, why not? That's hope. basic, and that's also being told by Superman being born in multiple different times in the future, in the past, yeah. in the present. Basically, saying like Superman will be reborn again and again for different generations because that's the way it has to be. Like, relax, you'll still get right. your version. You and know? to be fair, depending on what year, you know, uh. I think that thing might have been 2030, but if it was if it was further along the line, the person who writes that story might not even be born yet. For real, you know, you That's hope you hope long enough, you wait long enough. Yeah, you wait long enough, all of this can happen. You wait long enough, and you hope. And it's long because enough, it's because it. Jeff Johns has been doing that his whole career, taking things from people 30 years ago who never would have expected someone like him. To build upon that. So now he's purposely leaving things for other people to grab. Like like things that yeah. I'm sure yeah might not have any intention of touching again. Like a like, whole bunch of like photographs. The child. He left a whole bunch of photographs you know, like, behind. You know? Exactly. That's, that's what he's getting up to. That is so yeah. good. It's such a good story. Oh, oh, definitely. And it's renewed my um like I said, it's renewed my hope for the, like this story in general, what it was meant to do. Uh, but like I said, I, I think in the very same vein as to what the story is trying to tell us, I came in with the wrong ideas. You know, I came in with the wrong expectations because I didn't know what it ultimately, what it's, what it's message was going to be. I thought it was going to be more like a tool. And I think it was presented more as a tool uh, to fix things, uh, the continuity, but because of how things happen with editorial it didn't necessarily become that, but more so than becoming a, a tried and true 
weapon used to fix continuity. I like the mission statement. We have a mission statement now. You know, maybe that's the beginning of it. Maybe that is the beginning of putting your foot on the ground and seeing those plants spring up. Uh, maybe we're starting to see hope be planted uh, and it, and what happens when it grows. And that's something that's incredibly exciting for the future. Um, the one more thing I wanted to mention, which would link us to the HBO show, is um, Cleopatra Pack. How did you feel about this? Um, and that, that like supposedly there's supposed to be like a, a daughter from Adrian. Like it seems like they're pointing at some of the stuff we see from the show. Um, do you think in any way they follow up with that, with the rest of these Watchmen characters in the future? I feel like uh, it's, it, it's open season now. They've got a Rorschach miniseries going on right now. And I'm sure they'll do other things (laughs) in the future. (laughs) I, it's, it, it, it almost, I, 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 I don't want to say like I'm disappointed because it's it's an inevitability. Why would I be disappointed in in an inevitability? Why wow. No, we we spoke about this though. Uh, just because you know you're gonna get cheated on doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It's gonna hurt, right? Right. Yeah, it'll, it'll be coming. It'll be coming soon. So uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of this stuff. Uh, Watchmen on HBO seemingly is done. Um, but forever, <laughs> we have a uh, there's a Rorschach mini series going on right now, written by Tom King. In case people are interested in that, um, I could you read this back to back with Watchmen? Is that too much? I feel like they're they they maybe they don't need to be read in that. I don't think that if you finished Watchmen. Like if you want more of that, yeah, you should probably watch the HBO show, right? And and if you want like the anti Watchmen, <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not like de- definitely the anti Watchmen, but I feel like it's definitely supposed to be like the mirror image of Watchmen. <laughs> like I also yeah. think it works as a good like PS, you know, like an epilogue. Hey, this, uh, you know, at the at the end of it. Did you want to see what happens if Manhattan gets some hope? Yeah. Oh, do, or do you do you remember you remember when Manhattan walked away and said he wanted to create life? Let's follow that. Let's we'll see where see. that goes. And this is where and this is where it is. That's a, that's the only thing I'm disappointed in. I I wanted him to be someone in the DC universe hiding out, but besides that, I thought that they knocked everything else out of the park. Um, and I think that they considered that, but I think the implications would have been too much. Uh, that that one person, maybe from the dawn of time, or maybe at a certain point, just became Doctor Manhattan. I think would have been too much. Um, also, I gotta uh yeah. shout out that Doctor Manhattan got to uh have a conversation with Martian Manhunter on Mars. So that's also <laughs> something that rarely happens, but uh, I'm glad that it did. And speaking of being glad, I'm glad that we were able to put a fork in this. Uh, you know, we started this, started covering this three years ago. Life has changed significantly since then. You're not even in the same state that you were, uh, literally, emotionally, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but you're still bringing the analysis. You're still killing it as a co-host. You still got that DC knowledge. It was a pleasure uh, to be covering this. Um, but yeah. the the fu- the funniest thing about it is that you can find that you can see the differences literally by going back and 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 checking out that early episode of Doomsday Clock, the first one we did. Uh, I was going to say, I just hope that I hope that Greg GT Rebirth is listening to this right now. Okay, because he he is so down <laughs> on Doomsday Clock, and it makes me so sad because there's such a good story still to be told. <laughs> Read this book, Greg. I, yeah, Please, um, that's what I think. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I get, I'm gonna speak to something to that because, um, like I said, go back, listen to um our other episodes of Doomsday Clock, the episode that we did of Doomsday Clock, the first episode I want to say, or maybe it was the second one. I don't do an intro for it. You do. So Ooh, that's interesting. That's sick. Uh, I, I, I also don't have the outro as down packed as I do. So I kind of fumbled through that. So all that kind of stuff is interesting. Pilot-esque stuff. Going yeah, on. yeah. It's, it's really, it's really funny stuff. Um, and so literally there's a point that I have marked where the, where I come in and say, you know, hello everybody out there and come right when the song starts and it didn't happen in this, in this episode. I'm like, when the, when the hell do I, start this thing? <laughs> it, it throws you off so much, but go to comicbookclick.com Cause you can find all the episodes of the major issues podcast there. Uh, you can also find information on us and articles written by us, especially the one that GT wrote where he said that doomsday clock didn't really do much for him. And he goes into great lengths describing why that was. And I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, he makes a hell of an argument. He does. I hope, um, I hope that he can do what I did, which is like glance back over at it and and um, get some more appreciation from it because I know we were able to, and uh, I love it. I love the whole experience for it. Um, but yes, go to comicbookclick.com or go listen to any podcast app that has us. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, Podcast Attic, TuneFind, YouTube, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, just type in Major Issues Podcast in Google, and we'll be the first ones to pop up because we're always talking about the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, and you can use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. I've been to the future like Manhattan. I'm not moving any any lanterns, but something happens. Can't tell you what, but we do become the greatest. And before the bandwagon gets full, get on. Like, share, and subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't like. Uh and like I said, we got many more of this to come. We're over 10,000 listens in the bank. Let's get 10,000 more. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. This is Jonathan Escudero, a.k.a. Yogi. And this has been our Doomsday Clock review. And remember, whether you were split in half by an intrinsic field generator, whether you, your parents were shot in Crime Alley or you're the last son of Krypton, remember that hope truly ways out remember nothing ever ends remember you are the click and remember you yes you are worthy